Support for Market Foolery comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Home plays a big role in your life. That's why Quicken Loans created Rocket Mortgage. It lets you apply simply and understand the entire mortgage process fully so you can be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com fool. It's Wednesday, September 13th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, and joining me in studio, we have Aaron Bush and David Kretzman from Motley Fool Rule Breakers and Supernova. Guys, welcome. Happy Wednesday. Thank you. Happy Wednesday. Do we have a show? I'm excited. Bitcoin and queso. What could be better? It sounds like a bad high school band. <laughs> we could talk about that every day, I think. <laughs> Bitcoin and queso. But let's begin with Apple. Guys, on Tuesday, of course, Apple unveiling three new iPhones. David, they also introduced some whiz-bang technology like facial recognition. As an investor, what stood out about Apple's event? Probably th- those things weren't at the top of my list. I think a lot of those items were expected. Apple, as best as they try, they, they don't keep a lot of secrets these days. They're just so big. They have so many eyes on them that they don't <laughs> have many secrets. So I think a lot of the technological advances with these new iPhone models was generally what we expected. I don't think there are giant surprises there if you're following the different rumors that were coming out uh, from different blogs and stuff. But I'm really impressed with the Apple Watch. And as a device that over the past few years since it launched, people always rag on it for some reason as, oh, it's a flop. It's not as big as the iPhone. It's like, well, it doesn't need to be as big as the iPhone. It's still... I think captures over 50% of the smartwatch uh, market, which is pretty incredible for a relatively new device. And uh, Tim Cook announced yesterday that it's actually the best-selling watch in the world, not just for smartwatches, but uh, they're, they're a better seller than than Rolex globally. So that that's a really impressive feat to me as well. And this new generation of the Apple Watch that now has built-in cellular technology, where it doesn't have to be directly tied or tethered to your iPhone, I think that makes the the watch all the more uh, compelling for for a user. So I think Apple continues to to really innovate where it needs to innovate with uh, the the Apple Watch each version. Now they're on the third version. I think it's more impressive. I've never owned a smartwatch, but I think if I was wanting a smartwatch, the the Apple Watch might be something that draws me into that Apple ecosystem. And I noticed that the the new watch includes a or it's going to feature a heart rate app which will notify you when it detects an elevated heart rate. That can't be good for Fitbit, right? Yeah, I, if I'm Fitbit, I'm really nervous right now because Fitbit just announced within the past month or two their new smartwatch. But I, I just feel like the the features, the the look, the design of the Apple Watch just blows Fitbit out of the water. And uh, yeah, the the Apple Watch has a lot of compelling health cases as well, like that heart rate monitor. I think they mentioned yesterday that it's actually the most used heart rate monitor in the world. There's just so many people using this device, and they're, they're capturing that data. And uh, the the value proposition of Fitbit, I think, is waning bit by bit. It, the the one thing Fitbit as a company ha- that has going for it is about forty five percent of their market cap right now is in net cash. So the company is not going to go bankrupt overnight or disappear overnight, but uh, they they need to figure out a way to stop bleeding cash, which they've been doing over the past year or so. And I don't think smartwatch should be their main strategy because I just think Apple will continue to be, to be the clear leader here. And Aaron, what were the highlights for you? Well, I just feel really bad for the iPhone 9. It, it's never <laughs> going to get a chance. No love at all. <laughs> I know. Um, I mean, I think it's really interesting. I mean, I, I think I don't think any of this was surprising. And what we're seeing is just iterative on everything we've seen before. I do think 
it will be good for the business seeing how they're they're strategizing with the iPhones, seeing how they have the eight, which still is normal pricing. It's not a cheap version of the phone by 700 any means. Seven hundred bucks. Yeah, I mean that's that's still significant. It's a chunk of change. And then you have the premium version, which is going to start at a thousand, the iPhone ten. Um, and so I think what we're going to see with that is it's probably going to push up the the average selling price of those phones, which is a really big deal for Apple because more than anything to Apple, Apple's all about about margin and pushing up the prices as much as they can. It's not as much about market share; it's about what they can get out of what they sell. So I think that was really interesting. And then I agree with David on the Apple Watch. I I think if anything, what is Most telling about Apple is just how good of a job they do on piecing together the entire ecosystem. And so you see the phone, which is still the central hub, the watch, which is offloading some of those features with its own capabilities, and with cellular that replaces the phone in some ways. Then you have AirPods, which connect to that. Which there weren't really big announcements with that. Um, but that that still connects. And then seeing the the face recognition. I mean, I don't really care about that too much. I think what's most interesting to that is just the camera, the underlying camera improvements and the software improvements in the camera, and really what that means for augmented reality. And so I, I think we're starting to see the building blocks of this ecosystem coming together in a way in which augmented reality over time、um, becomes a bigger deal, and Apple play, it becomes a big leader in that, just as they have in the watch and in the phone. And what's amazing to me is you just casually mentioned a thousand dollar phone. And if ten years ago or even five years ago we were talking about a thousand dollar smartphone, a lot of people would say that's crazy. And yet Apple has the ultimate pricing power now, don't they? Yeah, this is a really interesting moment for tech in general because consumers have generally been used to the average selling price of devices, whether it's computers, TVs, phones, laptops, tablets. To usually go down over time, that's kind of been the expectation. But I think now we're at an interesting turning point where these phones are incredible. What they can do, I mean, compared to three years ago, it just it blows me away what these phones can do. So it makes sense for the、uh, average selling price to go up. But、uh, up to this point, consumers haven't really been used to that. But I think Apple will be able to to pull it off, especially because they have this whole ecosystem, like Aaron mentioned, with. The the software, the different devices that all tie together. If you're a diehard Apple user, that thousand dollar price point probably isn't going to scare you away because the phone looks pretty darn cool and, and technologically advanced, and it just plugs right into that ecosystem that you know and love. So I think Apple can pull it off, and it'll be really interesting to see how how consumers react. My unpopular opinion is that I think that the iPhone and these premium smartphones in general are actually one of the greatest values you can get out of any device. I think we see these these prices go up, but if you think about the time that we spend using them, from a usage perspective. We're getting so much value out of what we spend on them, so I think it makes sense to me. And if Apple can justify it, that's awesome. Okay, well, that's a good segue for my final question here involving Apple. How about the stock? Is the stock a good value? Because a lot of people maybe have been watching Apple for years, and if they didn't invest, they've just seen the stock go up and up and up. But as we know, investing is all about the future. So, what do you think of the stock? Well, I, I, right now the market cap of Apple is about eight hundred and twenty billion dollars.、Um, so this this isn't the kind of company that can double overnight. I think they have some things going for it with with the dividend and share repurchases.、Um, my my personal opinion is that you can do a lot worse than investing in Apple. Apple still has. 
Um, it's still going to be throwing out new great products that make the company bigger, and it's it's going to return value back to shareholders in those other ways. Um, in my opinion, I, I also think that you can do better than Apple too. Um, just just given how much the stock has even gone up in the past year, and just how the biz, how big the business is today, that's not entirely a limiting factor, but it still is one. To some that's degree. a bit of a hedge, though. Does it beat the market over the next five years? I'm going to say no, actually. Ooh. Wow, those are fighting Bold. words. David Kretzman. Uh, before I get to the valuation, just one quick thing on the average selling price. When you go back to the first cell phone that Motorola released in the early 1980s, the average selling price or the, the selling price was just under four thousand dollars for that phone, and you know the thing weighed practically 15 pounds, had a 30 minute <laughs> battery life. So paying a thousand dollars for this incredible technological achievement isn't actually that bad in hindsight, and it and I think to Aaron's point, actually, might be you might be getting a bargain on that device given how much you use. I think that's a great point. As far as the uh, the stock going forward, I think uh, yeah, you can do a lot worse than than Apple. Uh, the the valuation today, the the PE multiple is around eighteen, which is toward the higher end of the range over the past three years. The dividend yield is about one half percent, which is about the lowest it's been over the past three years. So I think. From a valuation perspective, uh, people are more optimistic about Apple than they were a few years ago when people were wondering what comes after the iPhone. And I think people are now recognizing that Apple doesn't need to replicate the success of the iPhone. They have this incredible ecosystem. They can do more of the uh, iterative innovation and do just fine. So, Apple is not a growth stock. It's not a growth company. But I I think as a cornerstone of a portfolio as a core position, a portfolio. It's a good place to start, but at, at these prices, I'm not as excited as it was when you know the the price earnings multiple was closer to ten or twelve. Okay, guys. Well, let's move on to Bitcoin, a subject that, as we all know, evokes some very very strong opinions for and against. Speaking at an investment conference on Tuesday, J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon called Bitcoin a quote fraud. Dimon said he supported blockchain technology but said that Bitcoin was, quote, stupid, end quote, and, quote, far too dangerous. So, guys, what do you think? Bitcoin, digital currency, is it a fraud? Is it the next great thing? Or is it somewhere in between? I think it's definitely not a fraud. And I think even if Bitcoin exactly isn't the next great thing, um, its creation was the start of something great. Um, so, no, I don't think it was a fraud. And as I kind of think back over what Jamie Dimon says, Buffett at one point called the value of Bitcoin a mirage. Howard Marks has been all wishy-washy on it, too. I, my, my personal opinion is that they're all wrong. I think that there definitely is hype in the market. There definitely is, with, beyond a doubt. But at the same time, there is true true value in what, in what Bitcoin has done, creating a a decentralized network without a central authority that can shift money around with complete trust. And that that's a huge breakthrough. And I think what people are underestimating, and these are these are people that are good at finance but aren't necessarily great at understanding the computer science behind it all. Um, I think they're understanding what can be built on top of it. And so as you add um, layer two functionality, so that's the equivalent of saying on the internet, we created HTTP. Bitcoin would be kind of similar to something like HTTP, but now think about all the things that we've built on top of HTTP. I think that we're going to start to see more use cases and applications be built where we can use Bitcoin. And honestly, people people kind of solely talk about it as as a currency. And I think 
that's how it was created. It was created to be a peer-to-peer um, payment platform, but I think it's evolved to be more than that. Um, so yes, it can be used as a currency, but the reality is people don't trade things that go up, and so they're they're holding onto it, which has made it a store of value. And, and so I think the best metric for measuring Bitcoin isn't transactions or volume; it's just the number of believers. And whatever these guys say. Um, as long as the number of believers is going up, the value of Bitcoin should go up too. David? Yeah, looking longer term, I think it's inevitable that this technology will be implemented and utilized in some shape or form, whether it's Bitcoin or Ethereum or some other you know concoction that hasn't even been created yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's impossible to say. But over the long run, I think it's inevitable that the world goes this direction. With that said, in, in the short term, from, from an investor's lens, it really seems overheated to me right now. I have a lot of friends who fairly regularly over the past couple months will come up to me, and th- these are people who probably aren't even invested in stocks yet, and they're asking me, hey, what do you think about Bitcoin? Is there something there? And <laughs> to me, it's sort of like reminiscent of the 90s when everyone was talking about tech stocks. You, know, you just have to get in on, on this. Uh, so, I think a lot of people right now are looking at it through more of a short-term lens. They're trying to buy it, make a quick buck. They're not actually interested in using it as a currency. Longer term, I think, I think we'll have some sort of correction or crash uh, where it, it weeds out some of that, similar to the the days of the dot-com bubble, where you had some legitimate businesses and visionaries like Jeff Bezos and Amazon and eBay that they, they got punished hard during the crash, but they managed to come through it and ended up really revolutionizing the world. I wouldn't be surprised if there was some, some similarities there with Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and the blockchain and all of those different buzzwords right now. But in the short term, to me, it just seems it's very speculative. So, I wouldn't Put anything in Bitcoin that I wouldn't uh, be willing to, to lose. Yeah, I kind of think of the entire cryptocurrency industry in a stage where the internet was in the early 90s or so. The difference is that this industry is moving a lot faster, it's developing a lot faster. Um, it still isn't perfect, there's still a lot of lacking infrastructure out there. Um, the developer experience isn't great yet, and the user experience still is kind of limited to only techies who know how to like move around money in this way can really figure it out. But that will change in time, um, and added infrastructure will make it more usable. Um, and I'll, lastly, I'll just say that the whole idea of tokenization is is essentially the creation of a new asset class that works differently from equities, bonds. Um, and what, what we've seen even over the past quarter, there have been a couple ICOs, initial coin offerings, that have raised significant money, like over $200 million each. And even apart from the currency side, just blockchain, um, all of these big finance businesses and non-finance businesses are coming together under these consortia. And the largest consortium um, raised, I forget if it was like $100, $200 million just last quarter. So, even if it's hype, the fact that it's hype and that there's so much money coming in here, so much focus here, is improving the ecosystem at a really quick rate, and there will be value made from that. And I think as investors today, like if if someone really wants to scratch that itch, then I could understand putting like one percent or less of your net worth into Bitcoin and Ethereum just to get some exposure or follow along. As long as you're in a position where you recognize like there's there's a chance that it could go up. Ten times in value over the next year, or it could go to zero potentially. Like you just have to recognize that it's very speculative at this point. But it'll also be interesting to follow more established companies like Visa, Mastercard, PayPal, 
even the exchanges like NASDAQ or SIBO Holdings or Intercontinental Exchange to see how they find different ways to implement this technology or give people access to these cryptocurrencies that are coming up. And just one quick thing on ICOs, and the reason I think right now it's a little, it's a little bubbly and speculative for my taste, even Paris Hilton is promoting initial coin offerings right now in <laughs> cryptocurrencies. So to me, and you don't trust her. You don't see her as credible. I mean, maybe with fashion, <laughs> but when when it comes to to cryptocurrencies and ICOs and all this stuff, when when Paris Hilton's getting in, I wonder maybe that's a sign of a at least a shorter term peak. Yeah, I would say that if you are interested in investing in this space, whether it's Bitcoin or something else, it's important to know what you're doing and the skill set is different that for investing in cryptocurrencies than it is in stocks, you have it's a much more interdisciplinary um, form, I guess, of investing. In my opinion, just because you have to add the extra layer of understanding programming and computer science, um, a lot of these projects are are like pre-product essentially. So you really got to get into the code and then the white papers to figure out if there's any value there. Yeah, and even if you're not interested, I would say sprinkle that acronym ICO just throughout your conversation because that sounds credible. I mean, you you'll sound so smart. Friends, oh, at the cocktail party, hey, can you believe what these ICOs are doing? And just remember to to thank us when when you sound super smart. That's right. And someone's going to correct you. They're going to be like, "Don't you mean IPOs?" And you're going to be like, "No, I mean initial coin offerings." What part of that do you not understand? I mean, come on, it's yeah. 2017. <laughs> I listen to Market Foolery. <laughs> Okay, guys. Well, before our final story, I want to point out that support for Market Foolery comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Chances are you're confident when it comes to your work, your hobbies, and your life. Well, Rocket Mortgage gives you that same level of confidence when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com fool. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states. NMLSConsumerAccess.org, number 3030. And guys, as advertised, our final story, Queso, as in Chipotle, now has Queso as of Tuesday. David Kretzman, I know you have tasted the Queso. Oh, yes. What's the review? I Well, so I ordered online, and uh, I went in to pick up my order. I noticed at least one other customer... Uh, Picking up queso, so there the word is getting out. But before I get to the review, I'll say one thing that I'm a little surprised slash disappointed with as a Chipotle shareholder and fan. You know, I, full disclosure, I, I probably eat Chipotle two or three times a week, so I, I'm a regular. And even throughout all the E. coli stuff, that did not phase me at all. And if anything, the shorter lines helped. But the the one thing that surprises me here is that Chipotle hasn't done any promotion or publicity uh, about this case nationwide queso launch. Why is that? Well, I, I suppose the, the the main legitimate reason that that I could give the company some leeway for is if they just want to do a soft rollout initially, make sure they have everything operating smoothly. But this is a time when Chipotle really needs to get traffic back in the stores, and this is from management's own words. This is the most requested menu item for Chipotle that they didn't already have on the menu. So when you first you, you need people to come back into the stores, you finally launch a product that uh, that people have been asking for and, and something that will really help I think differentiate Chipotle or at least attract people back into the stores, if nothing else out of curiosity to try it out. But there, there's nothing on Chipotle's Twitter, nothing on their Facebook, they didn't send out any text pushes, even on their uh, online ordering app or the mobile app. They're, they're, was nothing about queso on there. So unless you're actually going through and 
putting your order together piece by piece online, there was no way that you would know that Chipotle is now offering queso. And to me, that's kind of a that that that's that's a problem. This I think this is a great opportunity. So I I would hope within the next week or so they do start making a bigger push. It just seems like that makes a no sense to me. If, yeah. If so we that's as Americans can agree on any one thing, I like to think it's probably queso, right? I mean, yeah. Who, who, Probably. At, at least people will be curious to try it out. And you, Chipotle desperately needs people just to get back into the stores. And that's one of the reasons I thought, you know, this could be something that Wall Street is underestimating because Chipotle had hinted that they would do this national rollout in September. And as far as something to get back people, get people back into the stores, forget about the E. coli stuff, forget about the rats and in Dallas and forget about the norovirus in Already Virginia. forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> queso. Queso is the dominating story here. Okay, so let's get to the queso. You're in Chipotle now and you've got the queso. Take me through it. What And, and I need to know about the chips and the queso and your first reaction. Yeah, so yeah, I, I, uh, I, I took it to go, brought it back home and the first thing I did was, yeah, I, I uh, dipped the chips in, into the queso and I really liked it. Uh, it's it stays true to Chipotle's mission of using simple whole ingredients. And when you compare the ingredients of Qdoba's queso to Chipotle's queso, like it's not even close. Chipotle's uh, ingredients are very simple. You can like pronounce all the ingredients. Like as a consumer, I like that. And if Chipotle can pull it off, then that's impressive and still have a good taste in queso. It's on the spicier side of the equation, uh, but I mean, I, I like the taste. So. Uh, the the reviews have been mixed up up to this point, but from from an investor's perspective, I think you know this is something I think a lot of people will at least want to try out, and it won't be for everyone. Just like no ingredient uh, at Chipotle or any restaurant is, but I think it'll get people back into Chipotle and maybe kind of switch that that habit uh, back to to go to Chipotle. So well, that's the hope for me. Part of the challenge there is that they've got to replace District Taco. I love District Taco, and and, and District Taco has Chipotle. It's a local place around here. And so, unless they have better queso, I'm not. I'm not going there. What, what do you What do you look for in the perfect queso? What are What are the different? There, there's uh, a consistency qualities. issue, and I'm a contrarian here too. But I actually want to run out of chips before I run out of queso. That could be a problem with Chipotle's. Yeah. Oh, see, I it hate de- that. I hate when they don't give you enough queso because then you just. And I know this is a first world problem. Okay. Totally first world problem. Yeah. It, it's beyond. It's like what comes before a first world problem. I don't know. It's a Paris Hilton problem, <laughs> right? It is a Paris Hilton problem. But you cannot run out of queso before you run out of chips. Well, with what Chipotle has now, and I think this might be a relatively recent uh, switch that they made. But you can buy a small bag of chips or a large bag of chips, and now they also have a small or a large size of queso. So I think Mac to scratch that itch, what you're looking for, get a small bag of chips and a large thing of queso, and you'll be good to go. Yeah, I'm probably not the best judge because I would drink. Queso. <laughs> well, you need to try it out, and we'll have to do a follow up and see what you think. <laughs> is is the queso only for chips, or can you get it in burritos and? Burrito no, you can get it for for anything. So just like guacamole is typically an add on, you can get uh, queso uh, on, on there. And some of the reviews that I've seen, they didn't really like the consistency of queso. And ironically enough, it's because Chipotle doesn't have necessarily all the preservatives in there because you, you you know there's lumps of cheese and other stuff in there which. You know, we're used to like that artificial, silky smooth queso. I think, but I, I think that consistency consistency issue goes away if you were putting it in a burrito or a burrito bowl or a taco. So I think, you know, once people try it out, and hopefully they they try it out in different ways, they'll they'll probably find something that that satisfies them. But I, I really hope Chipotle does more to promote this because otherwise, gosh, what a wasted opportunity when they really need people to get back in the stores. 
Okay, guys, well, we will keep an eye on it. And before we go, I want to give a shout out for the third edition of the Motley Fool Investment Guide. It's brand spanking new, just released, just published last week. Tommy David Gardner published the first edition back in 1996. And guys, as you know, that became an investing classic. Well, the new edition has been updated, so it's got all that timeless investing advice, and yet it's updated and revised. And you can find more at book.fool.com. That's book.fool.com. Guys, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Mac. Thank you. As always, people on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Matt Greer. Thanks for listening, and we will see you tomorrow.